The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine, Book 3, The Girondin, Chapter 2, Calotic and Sanscalotic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 3, Chapter 2, Calotic and Sanscalotic. Gironde and Mountain are now in full quarrel. Their mutual rage, says Toulongion, is growing a pale rage. Curious, lamentable, all these men have the word republic on their lips. In the heart of every one of them is a passionate wish for something which he calls republic. Yet see their death quarrel. So, however, are men made. Creatures who live in confusion, who, once thrown together, can readily fall into that confusion of confusions which quarrel is, simply because their confusions differ from one another, still more because they seem to differ. Men's words are a poor exponent of their thought. Nay, their thought itself is a poor exponent of the inward unnamed mystery wherefrom both thought and action have their birth. No man can explain himself can get himself explained. Men see not one another, but distorted phantasms which they call one another, which they hate and go to battle with. For all battle is well said to be misunderstanding. But indeed that similitude of the fireship of our poor French brethren, so fiery themselves, working also in an element of fire, was not insignificant. Consider it well, there is a shade of the truth in it. For a man once committed headlong to Republican or any other transcendentalism and fighting and fanaticizing amid a nation of his like becomes, as it were, enveloped in an ambient atmosphere of transcendentalism and delirium. His individual self is lost in something that is not himself, but foreign, though inseparable from him. Strange to think of, the man's cloak still seems to hold the same man. And yet the man is not there, his volition is not there, nor the source of what he will do and devise. Instead of the man and his volition, there is a piece of fanaticism and fatalism incarnated in the shape of him. He, the hapless incarnated fanaticism, goes his road. No man can help him, he himself least of all. It is a wonderful, tragical predicament, such as human languages, unused to deal with these things, being contrived for the uses of common life, struggles to shadow out in figures. The ambient element of material fire is not wilder than this of fanaticism, nor, though visible to the eye, is it more real. Volition bursts forth involuntarily, wrapped along. The movement of free human minds becomes a raging tornado of fatalism, blind as the winds, and Mountain and Gironde, when they recover themselves, are alike astounded to see where it has flung and dropped them. To such height of miracle can men work on men, the conscious and the unconscious blended inscrutably in this our inscrutable life, endless necessity environing free will. The weapons of the Girondins are political philosophy, respectability and eloquence. Eloquence, or call it rhetoric, really of a superior order. Vernier, for instance, turns a period as sweetly as any man of that generation. The weapons of the mountain are those of mere nature, 
audacity and impetuosity which may become ferocity, as of men complete in their determination, in their conviction, nay of men in some cases who as Septemberers must either prevail or perish. The ground to be fought for is popularity. Further, ye may either seek popularity with the friends of freedom and order, or with the friends of freedom simple. To seek it with both has unhappily become impossible. With the former sort, and generally with the authorities of the departments and such as read parliamentary debates and are of respectability and of a peace-loving, moneyed nature, the Girondins carry it. With the extreme patriot again, with the indigent millions, especially with the population of Paris, who do not read so much as hear and see, the Girondins altogether lose it, and the mountain carries it. Egoism, not meanness of mind, is not wanting on either side. Surely not on the Girondin side, where in fact the instinct of self-preservation, too prominently unfolded by circumstances, cuts almost a sorry figure. Where also a certain finesse, to the length even of shuffling and shamming, now and then shows itself. They are men skilful in advocate fence. They have been called the Jesuits of the Revolution, but that is too hard a name. It must be owned likewise that this rude, blustering mountain has a sense in it of what the revolution means, which these eloquent Girondins are totally void of. Was the revolution made and fought for against the world these four weary years that a formula might be substantiated, that society might become methodic, demonstrable by logic, and the old noblesse with their pretensions vanish? Or ought it not withal to bring some glimmering of light and alleviation to the twenty-five millions who sat in darkness heavy laden till they rose with pikes in their hands? At least, and lowest, one would think, it should bring them a proportion of bread to live on. There is in the mountain, here and there, in Marat, people's friend, in the incorruptible sea-green himself, though otherwise so lean and formularly, a heartfelt knowledge of this latter fact without which knowledge of all other knowledge here is naught, and the choicest forensic eloquence is as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Most cold, on the other hand, most patronising, unsubstantial, is the tone of the Girondins towards our poorer brethren, those brethren whom one often hears of under the collective name of the masses, as if they were not persons at all, but mounds of combustible explosive material for blowing down Bastille with. In very truth, a revolutionist of this kind, is he not a solecism? Disowned by nature and art, deserving only to be erased and disappear. Surely to our poorer brethren of Paris all this Girondin patronage sounds deadening and killing. If fine spoken and incontrovertible in logic, then all the falser, all the hatefuller, in fact. Nay, doubtless, pleading for popularity here among our poorer brethren of Paris, the Girondin has a hard game to play. If he gain the ear of the respectable at a distance, it is by insisting on September and such like. It is at the expense of this Paris where he dwells and perorates. Hard to perorate in such an auditory. Wherefore the question arises, could we not get ourselves out of this Paris? Twice or oftener such an attempt is made. If not, we ourselves thinks good, eh? Then at least our suppliant might do it. 
for every deputy has his suppliant or substitute who will take his place if need be. Might not these assemble, say, at Bourges, which is a quiet Episcopal town in quiet Berry, forty good leagues off? In that case, what profit were it for the Paris sense galotterie to insult us, a suppliant sitting quiet in Bourges to whom we could run? Nay, even the primary electoral assemblies, thinks Gourdet, might be reconvoked and a new convention got, with new orders from the sovereign people, and right glad were Lyon, Bordeaux, Rouen, Marseille, as yet provincial towns, to welcome us in their turn and become a sort of capital towns, and teach these Parisians reason. Fond schemes, which all misgo. If decreed in heat of eloquent logic today, they are appealed by clamour and passionate wider considerations on the morrow. Will you, O Girondins, parcel us into separate republics then, like the Swiss, like your Americans, so that there be no metropolis or indivisible French nation any more? Your departmental guard seem to point that way. Federal Republic? Federalist? Men and knitting women repeat federalist with or without much dictionary meaning, but go on repeating it, as is usual in such cases, till the meaning of it becomes almost magical, fit to designate all mystery of iniquity, and federalista has grown a word of exorcism and apage satanas. But furthermore, consider what poisoning of public opinion in the departments by these Brisso, Gossas, Carita, Condorcet newspapers. And then also what counter-poisoning still feller in quality by a Père Duchesne of Hébert, brutalist newspaper yet published on earth, by a Rougif of Gouvoy, by the incendiary leaves of Marat. More than once on complaint given and effervescence rising, it is decreed that a man cannot both be legislator and editor, that he shall choose between the one function and the other. But this too, which indeed could help little, is revoked or eluded, remains a pious wish, mainly. Meanwhile, as to the sad fruit of such strife, behold, O ye national representatives, how between the friends of law and the friends of freedom everywhere, mere heats and jealousies have arisen, fevering the whole republic. Department, provincial town is set against metropolis, rich against poor, calotic against sans calotic, man against man. From the southern cities come addresses of an almost inculpatory character, for Paris has long suffered newspaper calumny. Bordeaux demands a reign of law and respectability, meaning Girondism, with emphasis. With emphasis, Marseille demands the like. Nay, from Marseille there come two addresses, one Girondin, one Jacobin sans -Colotic. Hot Rebecca, sick of this convention work, has given place to his substitute and gone home, where also with such jarrings there is work to be sick of. Lyon, a place of capitalists and aristocrats, is in still worse state, almost in revolt. Chalier, the Jacobin town councillor, has got too literally to daggers drawn with Nievre Cole, the moderate and mayor, one of your moderate, perhaps aristocrat, royalists or federalist mayors. Chalier, who pilgrimed to Paris to behold Marat and the mountain, has verily kindled himself at their sacred urn, for on the 6th of February last, history or rumour has seen him haranguing his Lyon Jacobin in a quite transcendental manner, with a drawn dagger in his hand, recommending, they say, sheer September methods, patience being worn out, and that the Jacobin brethren should impromptu work the guillotine themselves.'
one sees him still in engravings, mounted on a table, foot advanced, body contorted, a bald, rude, slope-browed, infuriated visage of the canine species, the eyes starting from their sockets, in his puissant right hand the brandished dagger, or horse-pistol as some give it, other dog-visages kindling under him, a man not likely to end well. However, the guillotine was not got together impromptu that day on the Pont Saint-Clair or elsewhere, but indeed continued lying rusty in its loft. Nievre Chal with military went about, rumbling cannon in the most confused manner, and the nine hundred prisoners received no hurt. So distracted is Lyon grown with its cannon rumbling. Convention commissioners must be sent thither forthwith, if even they can appease it and keep the guillotine in its loft. Consider finally if, on all these mad jarrings of the southern cities and of France generally, a traitorous crypto-royalist class is not looking and watching, ready to strike in at the right season. Neither is there bread, neither is there soap. See the patriot women selling out sugar at a just rate of 22 sous per pound. Citizen representatives, it were verily well that your quarrels finished and the reign of perfect felicity began. End of Book 3, Chapter 2